Hi, I'm Paul Jay, and welcome to TheAnalysis.News. Please don't forget the donate button and the subscribe and share buttons and all the buttons. We'll be back in a moment with Hamid Dabashi, and we're going to discuss the Iranian elections. Ibrahim Raisi is the president-elect of Iran, the result of a controversial election process where less than 50% of the voters participated in an election that has been denounced by at least two former presidents, and many people actually boycotted. As always, when analyzing the internal politics of Iran, I think it's important to state that whatever the character of the Iranian government and ruling circles are, and what damage they may have done outside their borders, it's nothing compared to the war crimes of the United States and its allies. The hypocrisy of the American government towards Iran, complaining about human rights violations when they armed the Saudi and Israeli governments, is obvious. That said, we shouldn't hesitate to discuss the brutal and repressive nature of the Iranian theocracy. It's been reported that the Biden administration is trying to reopen the JPCOA nuclear agreement to include a restriction on Iran's use of ballistic missiles, something that was explicitly not included in the original agreement. Raisi has made it clear that Iran's non-nuclear weapons are non-negotiable. When Raisi was asked if he would meet with Biden, his answer was no. These are very dangerous moments, and we start our analysis from what's good for the Iranian people, the people of the region, and the American people and other peoples. And to help us understand the current moment, we're joined by Hamid Dabashi. He's an Iranian professor of Iranian studies and comparative literature at Columbia University in New York City. He's the author of over 20 books. Among them are his Theology of Discontent, Staging a Revolution, a one-volume analysis of Iranian history, Iran, a people interrupted, Iran without borders towards a critique of the post-colonial nation, Iran, rebirth of a nation, and the Shanami, and I'm sure he's going to correct me on that because I'm sure I just butchered it, the Persian epic as world literature. Hamid, please, how do I, how should I have pronounced that? Shah means king. Shah Name means book. Shah Name, the book of kings. Simple. Oh, okay. That's pretty straightforward then. Thanks thanks very much for joining us. Hamid. My pleasure. Good to seeing you, Paul. We miss you here back in the States. Yeah, I mean, someday sooner than later, maybe we'll come back. Uh, thank you. So anyway, let's start with the election. Uh, who is Reisi? What does his election represent for the Iranian people? And then we'll get into the nuclear agreement and the regional and uh, geopolitics of the issue. He is currently the head of the judiciary. And if you can believe, he is kind of a revolutionary functionary. He doesn't have really a vision, a character, any drive. He has been a yes man all his life. He is in his uh, 60s, I believe. And he ran for president last time, four years ago, uh, when Rouhani became president, but he didn't make it because there was still some enthusiasm eight years ago. And four years ago, when again, Rouhani ran again, uh, uh, about possibility of some democratic uh, indications in the process was futile. And uh, when he lost that uh, campaign, Khomeini, who the Supreme Leader, appointed him to a very lucrative and powerful position. 
which is the head of an, a major endowment in the province of uh, uh, Khorasan in northeastern Iran as the head of the Astan Quds uh, Foundation, which is very opulent, very powerful, which he used it very effectively this time to promote himself as somebody who cares for people and such. So he comes to the office of presidency with a very long history in the judiciary system and with a very long history of serving the Islamic Republic in varieties of capacities. And now he has become the head of the state. Uh, don't expect anything visionary. Don't expect anything radical. And in fact, it is important to remember that the office of presidency in the apparatus of power in Islamic Republic is not really that powerful. It's just a position among other positions. And the, what you also hear in European and American press that the supreme leader uh, calls the shots is not entirely correct either. The, the single most important body of decision-making is this thing uh, called the Supreme National Security Council that has 23 members and has the interest of the state in mind, has nothing to do with the nation and will of the people and so forth. Yes, the president... Until now, Rouhani, then uh, uh, the new term Raisi, is the, is the chairman of this uh, Supreme National Security Council. But far more important is the secretary of that National Security Council, right now, Ali Shamkhani. And they bring all the various forces, the intelligence, the security, the military apparatus of the Islamic Republic gather. It has a 23-member uh, committee. Uh, they decide, and what they decide is really the interest of the state, how to su sustain the state. They are always reactive. They are not proactive. They wait, for example, for the Soviet invasion of uh, uh, Afghanistan, the former Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, then they react to that. They wait for the Reagan administration to create the uh, Taliban, and then they react to that. Uh, keep in mind that, you know, in 1980, uh, uh, the United States was behind the Iraqi invasion of Iran for eight years, the Iran-Iraq war, to which they reacted. They wait for the Israeli invasion and occupation of Lebanon, then they react by creation of Hezbollah. So if you hear criticism, legitimate criticism of Iran being too much in the region, but don't hear that Iran is like a part of a jigsaw puzzle, that Americans are there, the, the Saudis are there, the Tur Turkish government is there, uh, the Russians are there, even the Chinese are there. Everybody is a, is a, is a no-man land. Everybody is involved in Syria. So is Iran. Is, Iran does not have a constructive role to play, but nobody has a constructive role to play. Everybody's hand is in somebody else's pocket. Uh, in that context, the, the election of a new president... Ibrahim Raisi, is not really going to have much effect. What are the paramount issues, Paul, that Iranians, 85 million people, face right now? The single most important factor are climate change. The uh, Persian Gulf area is not going to be habitable the way that things are going within, you know, about 20 to 25 years. Right, right now is like hell. Environmental catastrophe is the more, most important uh, issue. The issue of cor corona right now, this pandemic. Uh, just, just, just before you move on to that, just let me ask you, uh, is the Iranian government, theocracy, the council, are they 
cognizant of the climate challenge? Is it something they get? Because it's obviously a, not only is the climate a great threat, but the fossil fuel as the source of their main source of revenue is going to be, of course, a, a problem. No, they, they are. They're very. Uh, remember, this National Security Council has a university. So they, they, they study things. They know what, what is happening. And they are trying to diversify the sources of their energy away from fossil fuel, but they don't have any, any you know, alternative. That's what they have. It's a rentier estate. It's a state that runs by the, the price of oil. Uh, anytime the price of oil goes uh, down, the cry of death to America goes, goes down. Every time the price of oil goes up, you know, the, the, the cry goes up. It's not a it's not a, a system that is sustainable, and but again, it is nobody cares in the region. It's not that just Iran doesn't care; the entire region doesn't care. And vulnerable, the single most important item of vulnerability are people, people who have no power. And there was a semblance of democracy of the last, let's say, twenty years or so, when people poured into the streets. And chose between the and uh, a fact that we know in the United States very well between the worse and the bad they they chose the bad, uh, but now that that choice is no longer valid and this uh, maybe about thirty percent thirty five percent of the eligible voters actually voted there were sixty there are sixty million eligible voters and usually uh, Iranians are very high in voting when they think they their their word has something to say. But this time, and then the state uses the excuse, oh, it was Corona and the social distancing and this, and, and it's a summer and people are hot. This is all gibberish. The fact is that people have lost any trust. There is a severe bifurcation between a state and the nation. The state does its own thing and the nation is left to its own devices. Now, paradoxically, of course, these sanctions, this ungodly backbreaking crippling sanctions that the United States, Europe, and, and UN have been imposing, uh, the, the direct victims of those sanctions, are, of course, are the people who have, don't have any, any say in whether or not Iran should go nuclear or not go nuclear. So one has to place Iran within the context of geopolitics of the region, its relationships with its immediate Arab uh, neighbors, uh, its relationship with Europe, its relationship with the United States, and as a best indication, they have the best interests of the state in mind. When Obama was negotiating for a nuclear deal, they went for the nuclear deal and perfectly accepted all the limitations. But as soon as Trump destroys it, of course, they go back into strengthening their negotiating position by starting to enrich higher volumes of uh, uranium in order to strengthen their hands. It is important for your audience, Paul, to realize, to, to recognize that the Iranian foreign policy is very reactive, is not proactive. They wait for a crisis to happen and then they react to it to defend themselves. They don't have any... Right. You, you, were, you, you were listing the, great, the challenges facing the Iranian people. So you, you have the issue of uh, climate, but then you went to COVID. How, have, how has the government been doing with COVID and how much has that got to do with people tuning out of the elections? Yeah. Number one, uh, we don't have the, the accurate statistics in Iran. We don't have accurate statistics anywhere. Uh, up until recently, U U.S. was the, the, the uh, right now we hit 600,000 victims of uh, COVID. Uh, compared to the uh, United States, Brazil, and 
uh, and India, Iran has not been doing that bad. But nevertheless, the situation is not good. So going down, what are the interests, which is your, the primary interest of your, uh, your program? What are, the, what are the issues that Iranian people face? Number one is the environment. Number two are pandemics. Number three are crippling economic sanctions that are, that, that are really, they are not affecting the state. A, a state has been selling its oils in black market and other uh, uh, ways. It has sustained its, uh, its power both within the state, within Iran and in the region. That's what the, the issue is. So if there is a nuclear agreement, right now there are negotiations in Vienna. The Iranian interest is primarily uh, is go to go back to the Obama agreements, uh, the agreement that they had with the Obama. Disregard the issue of uh, long-range mi uh, missiles because they will not be negotiating long-range missiles. They, uh, they Remember, Iran is a country that fought with Iraq for eight years that has been constantly under threat from, is from Israel uh, and as a result is not going to compromise on the fact that during the Iran-Iraq war, they went around the world begging for, uh, for uh, uh, missiles. They could not get, nobody will sell them missiles. So they will not compromise on those, uh, those factors, especially since constantly uh, uh, Israel is, uh, is attacking them, is, is uh, on the pose of attacking them, you know, assassination of the nuclear scientists, all sorts of troubles that they make for them. Let me just add a point here. I, I think it's important just to emphasize that the ballistic missiles are not nuclear. They never have been a part of any negotiation as part of this nuclear agreement. And Iran has a much, as much right to ballistic missiles as, as any other country does. I mean, it's, it's kind of a ridiculous demand on the face of it. Uh, Paul, uh, for you and I, I don't believe in ballistic missiles. I don't believe in nuclear. Uh, yeah, sure. We don't believe in any of them. We're, we're, we're against war. But you cannot isolate. You, uh, Israeli military is the sixth most, most powerful military on planet Earth. Whatever Iran is doing, Israel is not a position to point finger at. at uh, yeah, with, with nuclear weapons. Uh, and with, they, they are sitting on a massive stockpile of nuclear weapons that they have collected by hook and by, by crook. And they are not part of the NPT of the non -profer -profer Iran is a signatory. Again, uh, one should not pick on, on Israel or any particular country. Pakistan has nuclear uh, capacity. Uh, Turkey is part of the uh, uh, NATO. So uh, Russia to the north is uh, it has nuclear capacity. To uh, Iran is surrounded by four nuclear powers: uh, U.S. in the Persian Gulf, Russia to its north, Turkey part of the NATO, and Pakistan. So no, none of these states can point finger at Iran. Oh, you cannot have nuclear, even energy, let alone nuclear power. So from the standpoint of Iranian people or any people around the globe, from Canada and the U.S., no country should have nuclear capacity. Of course not. I mean, given what happened in Japan, even nuclear energy is a dangerous proposition uh, to begin with. But the negotiation now, no, no, you can't even have the ballistic missiles and the range should be this much. Especially United States, are you kidding me? Who are you? Uh, right now, under uh, Trump, you began a, a revamping of the more sophisticated nuclear capacities of United States. Uh, so one has to have a more 
comparative assessment of the region, but it doesn't mean that the Islamic Republic of Iran is God's gift to humanity. It's a horrid theological, the theocratic state apparatus. Couldn't care less. And every election has become worse. The initial, if you go back 40 years when the, when the Islamic Republic was violently imposed against a multidimensional and pluralistic revolutionary uprising, it was still in negotiation with its ideological rivals. But after 40 years, it has become a flat, tyrannical state. And in this last presidential election, it just dropped away any pretense of democracy, uh, prevented anybody with the slightest, even reformists, not that reformists are very radical revolutionaries. They're part of the state apparatus. They didn't want it. They want, because they are, they are prepping this man, Raisi, to succeed Khamenei. Khamenei is in his 80s, their supreme leader, is in his 80s. Everybody guesses that Raisi will succeed him in, in supreme, as supreme leader, and thus somebody else will become the president. I mean, if you look at them, about maybe two dozen people at the head of the, uh, the state apparatus, and they keep changing from one position to another position. Why do they engineer the election? Because that's apparently what happened. It was engineered that he would win. Uh, but why do they have facing the public face, facing the West, someone who is going to be uh, perceived, and he's been accused, I think it's true, he was in on massacring thousands of people after the Islamic Revolution, leftists, communists, and all kinds of people they didn't like. Uh, they, they got a guy who is, quote unquote, the face of being hardline when when it's in their interest, especially their economic interest in terms of this uh, alienation of the people from the state to try to make a deal and get these sanctions lifted. Because this guy, if you read the, the Western press, is giving an excuse for Biden not to make go back to the uh, nuclear agreement. There are two points to your question, Paul. First of all, why bother with this uh, shenanigan of democracy? Well, why does the United States bother with the shenanigan of, you know, of, of democracy? Do we really have a democracy? Right now, as you know, the Republican Party is going through every possible measure to make sure that African Americans, uh, Latino Americans, they can't, that they won't vote. They have, they're, they have realized I mean, what happens in January 6th is a full recognition that this was a democracy only for white people, not for uh, any other people. And if other people are going to join the Democratic Party, again, not that the Democratic Party is God's gift to humanity, they are going to dismantle the democracy. Right now in Texas, they are systematically dismantling the demo democratic apparatus of this, uh, of this country. Now, with United States, gone as a model of potential Republican democracy, where do we have? Do we have a democracy in India where you have a horrid Hindu fundamentalist just slaughtering Muslims as a model of democracy? Is it in Brazil? Is it in China? Is it in Russia? Europe is always on the verge of the rise of fascism. There is no model of democracy, but it's still this, uh, this, this pretense you have even, you know, Bashar al-Assad having the having election in Russia, in in Syria. They love to pretend, you know, Sisi in Egypt. Yeah, let's have an uh, election because they engineer it. It's a fun, and they they claim a legitimacy that they like. They the same thing in in Iran. But what I like about this election, they have all the pretenses are dropped. 
They chose him. They put him in there. They did not allow anybody to run against him. There were two uh, who were running against him. They just conceded before even the election had started. It's a marvelous game. So we, everybody knows. I get that. But what I'm asking is why not have some kind of quote-unquote reformer who really, as you say, is part of the state – present this kind of reformist face, get the nuclear deal back, get the sanctions lifted. Instead, they're going, uh, they took a path which is actually like, you know, may very well scuttle the deal because there's, there's a lot of force in Washington against this deal, including from inside the Democratic Party. They are just one phase behind. They are reacting to Trump. When there was an Obama, you had the mm-hmm. Rouhani coming and, and Javad Zarif, the foreign minister, speaking lovely Midwest, Midwestern English uh, in his conferences and accommodating the, uh, uh, accommodating what you might call it, the nuclear uh, deal. And then Trump comes. When Trump comes, you have to understand the catalytic effect of four years of Trump chicanery on Iranian politics. The hand of the right wing, these, these Neanderthals that are they really the, the identical with Republicans in their politics. And, and also remember, Raisi is the, is the uh, Naftali Bennett of Iran. Uh, if you re- read the pages of New York Times, oh, Naftali Be- Bennett is being uh, reconstructed. This is the guy who said, I have killed many Arabs and I'm very proud of it. The same, this is a new PM of Israel. Uh, the same thing that Raisi said. He said, yes, I have killed uh, uh, prisoners and I'm very proud of it. They're identical characters. But not mm. if you read New York Times, they demonize Raisi and they glorify uh, Naftali Bennett because they, are, they have got rid of uh, Netanyahu. But going back to your question, why is it? Why is it? Because they're, they're reacting to uh, Trump. They don't have any trust. Now, now you have a different guy in the in in the in Washington. You have Biden, and Biden wants to restore. But of course, as you said, there are many forces who are opposed to restoration of uh, the, the nuclear deal, and Iran cannot trust that they can actually engage because they did engage, they did have a deal, but uh, Trump, you know, uh, tore it to pieces. So what trust can they can, uh, can they have? And the other thing too is if Biden is serious about. He's succumbing to his own pressure to create ballistic missiles as an issue because clearly it wasn't. In fact, uh, Blinken and the Sullivan that were both on camera after being appointed saying they weren't going to make ballistic missiles part of the deal. And now it seems like they are. That almost seems like an attempt to scuttle the deal because Biden has to know Iran will never agree to this. No, uh, they do. But there is also the other uh, part of it that, uh, that including ballistic missile could be a sort of a next phase that now they are going to have the sort of Obama era nuclear deal that they used to have, but they continue in Vienna and so forth to engage because paradoxically, Iranian regional interests and American regional interests coincide. They have coincided in Syria. They have coincided in Afghanistan. They have coincided in Iraq. And United States needs Iran in the region in order to uh, withstand the, the uh, uh, Russia, whereas Russia has had a consistent foreign policy and been very friendly with uh, with uh, with Iran and has used Iranian bases when it was engaging in Syria. So it is possible in the Biden administration that you have a, th- a way of thinking of continuing this negotiation with Iran. Thus, the question of will you meet with Biden? 
Of course, he will meet with Biden. They will meet with devil if they have to sustain their state apparatus. It, it makes no difference to them. It is not to their interest yet to meet with Biden or before that meet. I mean, uh, Rouhani was on the verge of meeting. They had a phone call with uh, Obama uh, d- during the Obama administration. They don't have any qualms with that, with, to meet with that, anybody. Right now, the relationship with uh, Saudi Arabia is going back to normal because, you know, they don't have any... Uh, they were actively involved in Yemen to the degree that the Saudis and the Emiratis were active in Yemen. When they are pulling back, Iranians will pull back. They will allocate the resources somewhere else in Afghanistan or in Syria or in uh, Lebanon. They are, they are not... Pull. One thing that is very crucial after 40 years of Islamic Republic, they are not ideologically married to anything other than sustaining the interest of the Islamic Republic, interest of the state. This is paramount. Everything else is negotiable. What do you see, you know, in the in the relatively short term future, five, 10 years? You were saying this economic model, even political model, isn't really sustainable. But what does that mean? How does how does this how does this unravel if that's uh, right now we are in a stage that if uh, if the epidemic is under control, if the uh, uh, Saudis and the Emiratis are out of Yemen, and if uh, Afghanistan with the pulling of the Americans and Iraq are stabilized, that will amount to reducing the presence of uh, uh, Iran in all of these regions. The more aggravated, if tomorrow you have another bombing of Gaza by the, the, the Israelis, you have another invasion of Lebanon, or if you have another inv- uh, occupation of uh, further into Golan Heights in, in uh, Syria, any of these things happening, Iran will be more aggressively involved. The more stabilized region that you have, the less conditions and causes and crisis for Iran to get in the in the uh, in, uh, region, fortunately and paradoxically, the silver lining uh, lining of the uh, COVID pandemic has been that people are pulling back because they have to allocate the resources to uh, controlling this uh, pandemic. If now the pandemic is over, my fear is that again somebody is going to invade something or another. There's always a trigger, uh, and now with the with the sustained bombing of Gaza by by Israel. Uh, over the uh, last two weeks, again, the position of the Hamas has uh, uh, strengthened and by the uh, further occupation into East Jerusalem of uh, Israel is adding momentum to the Islamic sort of component of uh, Palestinian national liberation. Happily and fortunately, Palestinian national liberation is not entirely Islamic. Uh, Hamas is only one factor, uh, is being drummed up in European and North American press uh, as the Palestinian uh, resistance. It is not the only Palestinian resistance, unfortunately so. Uh, So if things begin to subside and if we have less tension uh, in United States, in the region, if the Saudis and Emiratis begin to uh, start behaving, if Turkey begins to play a more uh, stabilizing role, Iran will uh, go back into its internal affairs. The more agitations around Iran, the more repression inside Iran, the more allocation of resources instead of to addressing issues domestic to Iran to, uh, uh, to uh, other regions. Iran is not a very wealthy uh, country. Iran is entirely contingent 
on uh, oil revenues. And this oil revenue, if they are not allocated to domestic uh, uh, issues, uh, the, the level of poverty, the level of unemployment, uh, the, the, issue, the national health issue, the in, uh, incapability of addressing uh, a pandemic, these are all factors that need resources for the state to address them. A state does not address them because it is allocating all these resources in Iraq, in Yemen, in Afghanistan, in Lebanon, in Palestine. That is the prospect. And what is the prospect for another rise of a democratic movement, you know, in the streets or electorally? Is there any space for that? Uh, okay. You see, there, there are two issues. In my opinion, uh, in, a, in a book I recently wrote, the, the Inevitable Demise of the Nation State, the bifurcation, Paul, between the nation and the state is forever. There is this whole idea of a nation state, that you had a nation and had a representative state, was a European colonial concoction, had never any relevance in the context of countries like Iran. And they gave it a try, uh, especially during the, after the revolution, you know, repeatedly elections, rep uh, parliamentary elections, presidential elections, city council elections, to see if there is an effect, but there has not been any effect. There is no democratic representation. And the idea of a revolution uh, yet another revolution, I think, is implausible. The idea even of a democratic uh, uprising demanding more say is even uh, not plausible. Uh, but the fate of the nation has been forever severed. They no longer look for to the state for their well-being. A state is an, a reality entirely unto itself. United Nations has to be renamed is United States. Those are states, they are not nations, has nothing to do with, with nations. When they say Iran did that or uh, Syria did that is just a misnomer. The, the name Iran belongs to the people, not to the state. The state interests itself. Of course, it has massive uh, basis in terms of its military, in terms of its security apparatus, uh, in terms of its intelligence apparatus. So if you put all of those together, they come to 10 million people. Iran is a large population and they can sustain themselves in power by force, by intimidation, by destruction of any democratic uh, uprising that has happened repeatedly almost every four to five years over the last four, 40 years. You have had one form of democratic uprising student uprisings, labor uprisings, middle-class uprisings, women's rights uprisings. You know, Iran is a richly diversified country in terms of its population, in terms of its youth. So you have all sorts of uh, uprisings, but they never amount to any rattling of the state in any democratic way. And, this, and the more aggressive the U.S. is towards the Iranian state, I assume the stronger it gets. Absolutely. Absolutely. The more aggressive United States, the more aggressive Israel, the more aggressive Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates, the more the state becomes like a porcupine. All its uh, spikes come out. And uh, a slightest suggestion, as you remember during the Green uh, Movement, the slightest suggestion of demanding, requiring, demanding uh, democratic representations, they all labeled them, oh, you are agents of the United States, you are agents of Israel, etc., etc. So they become more belligerent 
And lo and behold, United States is trying to intervene in the inter internal affairs of all of these countries, as it did in Syria, as it did in Lebanon, as it did in... Uh, and if there is democratic representation, as in the election of Hamas in Palestine, the United States doesn't recognize it because it's not in, in its interest. So we don't have a model, Paul. We do not have a model. Any of these countries, but including Canada, by the way, but the, the horrors of this uh, so-called residential schools that came out and the successive governments of Canada, the horror and the Catholic Church, what they have done to Native Americans and First Nations, has robbed them of any moral authority, of any political wherewithal. Who are these people? You know, we grew up thinking, okay, United States, Canada, Western Europe, they have troubles, but they have a model of democracy. But they are, there is no model. People, we, people are there on their own. And as a result, you have to look at movements such as Black Lives Matter movements, locations such as Palestinian National Liberation movements, demands like the uh, Native Americans or Native uh, nations in Canada for representation. These nuclei of resistance to these states is where the hope and the aspiration is. All right, Hamid, let's continue this conversation in another segment soon, uh, both about Iran and also about democracy. Uh, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Anytime. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news. Please don't forget the donate button and share and subscribe and all the buttons. Mm -hmm.